You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame. Eric Scopel, Kevin Wade are on the show for today. And this is a little bit different. Um, we've been discussing off error, I guess you could say, uh, some just crazy storylines that we remember and uh, we were discussing recruiting and just kind of figuring out, you know, there's still recruiting to cover right now with, with Oregon football, even though they're not playing on the field. And it kind of spurned another discussion of just what were like the crazy recruitments that we remember covering or following, you know, before we got into this industry. And uh, it, it sparked a, a healthy debate and we were like, let's just do, let's do this as a podcast. I, I think a lot of Duck fans out there um, have those signature moments in which they remember a crazy recruitment, uh, whether it was a, a good one for Oregon or maybe it was on the other side and, and they didn't land at Oregon and everyone was kind of shocked by it. Uh, so Eric and I and Kevin, are, we're going we're gonna to share our stories, um, tell you why it was shocking for us. And before we do that, I want to remind everybody right now, we are offering a 50% off annual VIP membership promotion it's celebrating our 10-year anniversary at DuckTerritory.com with 24-7 Sports. Your first, your build, uh, $53.70 up front, your first payment, and then you're not billed for the rest of the year. Uh, and you save over, you know, it, you're going to save a huge chunk of money, you know, obviously 50%. Uh, and then, you know, you compare that to a month-to-month price, uh, you're paying $9.95 per month at DuckTerritory.com. So you could get us for as low as $4.48. Inside scoop, expert analysis, read all the content across the 24-7 Sports Network. That means you don't get just our, our stuff. You get everybody's. You get to know what USC is reporting. You get to know about what our Ohio State site is reporting with as the Big Ten is in flux right now. Of, are they playing? Are they not playing? You can go and hear what Clemson is, is doing. You can go and read about how the SEC schools are battling COVID and how they're still able to play. You get the full story by subscribing to DuckTerritory.com, not just one team-specific site. So uh, highly encourage you guys to consider that if you are not a VIP subscriber right now. And if you are, hey, you know what? Thanks a ton for doing that and, and supporting us right now. Okay, let's let's dive into these um, I think this is maybe uh, ways back for a lot of you um, out there, but Haloti Nada in 2002 was probably for me, I was a sophomore in high school and this was a big deal because at the time we're going to never signed a five-star recruit in, in program history up, up, you know, up until getting Haloti Nada. And it just, it, it felt different and, Watching the Oregon football programs and the, and the teams that came before Haloti Nada, and, and to an extent even today, you know, Oregon's defensive lines have never been, you know, highly thought of, right? And um, this year's group is, is, is special. I think you in, in 2020, I think you could argue this is probably the deepest defensive line we've seen in a long time at Oregon. There's been a couple other years in which – you know, the, the Armstead and Buckner group, you know, that was loaded with, with uh, NFL first-round draft picks on that team. Deion Jordan played it, played through it. But, you know, traditionally, you know, up until at least Haloti Nada's commitment in 2002, Oregon had small, you know, smaller defensive linemen. They didn't have these ginormous dudes. And 
all of a sudden Nada showed up and committed. And it was a it was a big deal because quite frankly, no one thought he was really gonna leave the state of Utah. He was so focused on BYU and so focused on Utah that everyone was just, you know, assuming uh, he was going to go to Oregon or he, he wasn't going to go to Oregon. Nebraska was in the picture as well a little bit. And, uh, and just overall, that was a wild recruitment. And what ended up changing Oregon's fortunes, I, the legend goes, is that uh, Mike Bellotti had uh, a, a pastor in the area sit down with, with the Nada family, and that really smoothed over um, – a lot of their concerns with Oregon because of their religious ties uh, to the LDS. And uh, they, they, that meeting with, with the LDS pastor here in, in Eugene really kind of smoothed things over, solved you know, the, the, the concerns from mom. Haloti uh, was already all, all on board with Oregon. And uh, it was just a, a, a groundbreaking moment for the football program. Another one uh, that, that, really stood up to me was uh, you, you look at Cam Colvin, another five-star recruit. He happened to commit to Oregon a couple years after Haloti Nada did. He did it in 2014. And um, Eric, Kevin, I don't know if you guys remember um, Cam Colvin's recruitment at all, but yeah. it, it was a deal in which I don't think really anyone expected him to go to Oregon, even though, a lot of his high school teammates at De La Salle in Concord, California, Northern California, were committed or, or you know, to, to the Ducks. And this was also Oregon's first big TV moment. He committed on ESPN Live. I remember watching it, coming home from high school uh, and, and watching it on SportsCenter, him committing over to the Ducks over Michigan and other Pac-12 schools. And it was like – Oh my gosh, he just committed to Oregon over Michigan, Miami, Florida State, USC. Holy smokes. And he did this on ESPN. Like, and, and this was one of the best players in the country, 16th best player in the country. Yeah, you, you said for you it was Haloti Nana. It was your first like seminal recruiting victory. Um, for myself, it was Cam Colvin. I'm a couple years younger than you, Matt. And I same thing. I remember getting home and watching that and being stunned because I had done a little bit like there was definitely a message board recruiting community for Oregon sports. Right. And I had been kind of a part of it, not anywhere near what it is today, obviously. And even, even the, even the folks on there didn't give Oregon much of a chance as I recall, at least, and being stunned that they landed this guy um, and really, really excited to see what he could do to Oregon. And of course, kind of a subpar career at Oregon, but yeah, at the time it was just massive. I mean, look at his measurables today. 6'2", 195 pounds, 16th best player in the country, third best wide receiver in the country, second best player in the state of California. He's the 279th best player all time in the 24-7 sports composite rankings. I mean, Kevin, like if, if Cameron Colvin committed today where five stars are becoming more common at Oregon, the fan base would be flipping out because of uh, of how big of a get it was. Now it's like quantify that by 10 back in, in 2004, 2004. Yeah, it, it just – it would just be insane. I mean, where he still ranks and where – I mean, Oregon landed a five-star just a few months ago, and I, I felt like the internet just about broke. Uh, I, I think the level of excitement today would just be unreal, as, as we've seen and as we'll talk about. 
where the, the classes have gone, it, it just was unheard of when you look back at who the Ducks have landed. And this was, this was one of those first big wins um, on the recruiting trail in the recruiting era. And obviously there's a lot of guys that have come, you know, before Nada, before Colvin, but um, landing a skill player of this magnitude, a guy that everyone, you know, unfortunately, like Eric said, he didn't really have the career at Oregon that many had hoped for him, him himself. Uh, injuries were part of that, you know, lack you know, he did maybe just pan out, you know, skill-wise a little bit as well. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a monumental moment, I think, for, for the Oregon football program. And seeing as, you know, very few people were, were thinking he was going to go to Oregon because he had Florida State, he had Miami, he had Michigan, uh, he had USC. And a lot of this was during the time in which, you know, Miami was the U. They, they were winning national championships. Uh, Florida State was still in the hunt uh, being a national title contender. Michigan was still a national title contender. USC and Pete Carroll were, were getting going. And you know, he, he said no to all of that it, and came north to, to Eugene. And um, really, really huge, big recruiting win for this Oregon football program. And just I think part of it also was the fact that he did it on TV and it was live, and that was at a time when every commitment wasn't on TV, and that's what I think probably made it even more special was, you know, really only the five-star high-level player got an opportunity to to do it uh, on a national stage live. Um, Now it's more common. And then the the last one for me is just a year later, um, Jonathan Stewart out of Timberline High School in Lacey, Washington, the 12th best player in the country, the number one running back in the country, the number one player in the state of Washington. For the longest time, he was uh, Oregon's second highest rated commit ever. He's currently fourth. Uh, Nada, for the longest time, was was number one until this the last two years he's been surpassed by Kayvon Thibodeau and Justin Flo. But Stewart was another one in which it was he, – he, I think probably what made it so crazy uh, was – all the hype coming in, you know, before he was a, a freshman, you know, I remember that picture that was taken uh, of him running at like a high school football practice without pads on. And that was the first recruit where you said, that doesn't look like a freshman. And he, he, he physically was bigger than every typical guy at, at Oregon had signed before that. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the photo, Matt, because that was going to be my contribution to the Jonathan Stewart segment was like, I remember seeing that photo and being honestly like, just like, because I'm like two years younger than him and and kind of compare my body to somebody who's (laughs) looks like that and being like, wait, we're both in high school at the same time. Like we don't look like we're from the same planet. And he was so physically put together. And I think the only Oregon recruit I can think of who's maybe similar was, was Royce Freeman about, about a decade later yep. just in terms of being so put together. But, yeah, that photo making its rounds around the Internet, I still remember being like, holy cow, how did that happen? <laughs> and, and Stewart was one in which I don't know if Oregon gave – and you know, if Oregon, the Oregon fan base really thought um, there was a ton of you know, possibilities where they were going to land him. Because he's from, you know, Olympia, which is just, just south of, of Seattle, you know, about an hour or so's drive. Uh, Huskies were in there. You know, Tennessee at the time was uh, one of the best teams in the country, and he had, he had officially visited there. But ironically enough, he came out and said that 
he picked Oregon over Washington State. He he wasn't – it was a weird deal because he was turned off by the big city vibe of Seattle, and that's why he really wasn't uh, too serious about the Huskies. And, you know, he resonated better with what Pullman had and what the Eugene community was like. And to my understanding, Knoxville is, isn't necessarily, a you know, a huge bustling town uh, either, similar to, to what Eugene is like. And, and so we – we, we see a commitment from the state of Washington, a five-star guy who had offers from everybody, the number one running back in the country, and he, he picks Oregon over, you know, one of the schools he, he considered was Oregon's, you know, rival. And it was a huge, you know, huge, huge win. Another guy that, look, this is a time in which he did it on TV, but he, he committed to, to Oregon on King 5 uh, their, their news you know, program. And it, it was at a time in which his commitment actually leaked earlier in the day through sourcing. Uh, I think it was the Seattle PI, which announced, you know, published a story early in the morning saying he was going to commit to Oregon during a, a 5 p.m. newscast later that day, according to multiple sources. And like, that type of stuff just doesn't happen now. Like we don't see reports days or hours before a guy actually goes and commits saying he's going to commit to Oregon because recruiting has become such a hot you know topic and there's so many people covering it. Uh, you, usually we get some kind of, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I've committed that. We get some kind of quote from it. But back then, like there, the first, per, the first outlet to report a commitment was from the Seattle PI, which, which did it hours beforehand, citing just sources for one of the best players in the country. That wouldn't happen today. You wouldn't see sourcing like that. I mean, even with the top kids, I think there is a little bit of like, people know what's likely going to happen or there are quotes given for multiple things for some of the bigger, uh, like maybe a, a TV announcement at an All-American game. Uh, where a handful of people know, but it's kind of they've given quotes from multiple schools just right. the kid wants to disguise it a little bit himself. But to have a a more traditional newspaper go ahead and break that story means that it's more than just a recruiting story. That is a, a big local area and even national in the news. And and that was just a, a monumental get. And I think what even made it cooler was he showed up and I remember – I was moving in. He and I are the same age and uh, he moved in. I moved into my dorm at PLU uh, in Tacoma that summer. And I remember I was moving in and Oregon opened the season in Houston against, I think the Houston Cougars. Yep. And everyone kind of knows that that long run he had very, you know, late in the game, Oregon had, had won the game and, uh, Whitehead was the starter, but Stewart was, you know, the hot freshman and he came in late, you know, midway through the fourth quarter and he had that run where he, he basically ran through like nine of the 11 Houston Cougar defenders, uh, carrying like five of them for like 25 yards. And it was just kind of like this huge recruit commits to Oregon. It was big shock at the time. He shows up. He's humongous. Everyone's freaking out how big he is. And then the pads get put on and he's instantly just, living up to the expectations and it was that first big deal of like oh this is different like Oregon has never had that big of an impact guy before um and for me that was probably the one that had a ton of intrigue a ton of mystery going into the commitment 
And then shortly after when he shows up to campus, he's everything that you'd heard about. And it was just a totally different deal. Yeah, sticking with the running backs, though, I mean, kind of Jonathan Stewart kind of set the tone for what would be the next decade plus of great running back play at Oregon. I mean, just going Jonathan Stewart and you had LeGarrette Blunt, then you had LaMichael and Kenyon. And then kind of the next recruit to talk about is uh, DeAnthony Thomas. Um, Five-star running back, uh, ended up playing running back at Oregon but he actually wasn't originally recruited. And if you go check the 247 listings, I think DeAnthony Thomas um, was listed as a cornerback on 247. Uh, all the services had him pegged as a cornerback. And I think he wanted to play running back. Oregon had recruited the year before a five-star running back in Lake Seastrunk, Chip Kelly had landed. That's a story for a completely different podcast, though. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to go into that one today. <laughs> yeah, so DeAnthony Thomas, I think it was – it was a shift in everyone knew Oregon was special. They had won the Rose Bowl in Chip Kelly's first season in 2009. 2010 goes 12-0. and uh, And during that season, the Ducks had started to be a little more aggressive on the recruiting trail than you had seen. Not just picking up one or two good commits. They started picking up a lot of top prospects, really elevating that recruiting um, level to where it had previously been. And one of the, the, the big areas the Ducks had focused on and now has become basically their main focus, but back then was the Southern California area. But that was coming at a time when USC was the power. If you were a top kid, a top 100 kid in LA area, you were going to USC unless there wasn't room. Yeah. So there in comes DeAnthony Thomas out of Crenshaw High School in the class of 2011, uh, committed to USC basically the whole year, just kind of shut down his recruitment um, in the spring, di- didn't take any summer visits. Everyone's like, all right, USC has this this pretty much locked up. But then he took a took a visit to Washington. So that was kind of like, oh, there, there might be a, slip in, a little bit of room in here. But then he kind of firmed things up, told everyone that he was committed to USC, and that was that. Well, Oregon goes down in 2010 and just blasts the doors off USC. I think they were Lane Kiffin's first season, number 20 in the country was USC. Oregon was number one. DeAnthony took attention to that, said, wait a minute. USC is wanting me to play cornerback. They might be telling me that I could play some running back, but they're not going to use me as an every-down running back. So Oregon – and lead recruiter Don Pelham at the time kind of went in and started building that relationship say, hey, look at this Chip Kelly offense. There's going to be some, some ways you can blur. But they had to be really strategic in it because notice who USC's recruiting coordinator at the time was. It was Ed Ogeron, current national championship head coach, <laughs> and uh, probably one of the best recruiters in college football, period. Right. Uh, so I think that was kind of the Ducks had to be strategic and I, I know we've talked about it on the site the past few days, but um, that was kind of the moment for me where it was like, okay, Oregon could actually do something special because word started leaking out in the early days of the, I guess not early days since they've been around for a decade or so, but the, all the message boards, everyone's like, is, are the Ducks still pursuing him? Well, Oregon was smart about it. They brought in DeAnthony Thomas last minute, the weekend before the dead period before signing day for a secret official visit. No one knew about it. Uh, 
Greg Biggins um, has a story that he loves to post around signing day, and he quotes one of the Oregon staffers at the time that it was so secretive that the coaches didn't even talk to their family members about it because they just did not want word leaking out. Um, so, yeah, I was just going to say, I'm just like, t- in today's day and age, D'Anthony Thomas's secret visit could never happen. Like, because there's a there's one photo of the visit actually happening. And it's when Chip and the Anthony Thomas were sitting right behind the Oregon men's basketball bench in Matthew Knight Arena. The arena had just opened up. And I mean, think about, think about that too. Like the men's basketball team was nowhere near the level it was, it is today. And you couldn't, you couldn't take the 13th hey, that was- best player in the country and the number one player – at all purpose running back to a basketball game and know for the most part, no one's going to find out like that, that, that just can't happen now. I mean, it was actually, that photo is pretty interesting because it's D'Anthony's wearing a hoodie, I believe in, in it. And they're in like the corner of the tunnel, basically yep. as hidden as you can be. Yep. In that yep. Stadium. What I was going to add was I, I think, Jake Fisher was also a recruit and then took a visit that weekend. And I think infamously was asked about or famously asked about who was on, like if anybody was on the camp. And I think he lied basically and said, no, he was the only recruit on the visit and kind of did Oregon a favor. Obviously he ends up at Oregon too. Um, and so that's like the first, I guess, block he threw almost for DeAnthony Thomas was, was kind of <laughs> shutting down that narrative. And yeah, it was like a thing of like, no one really knew what was going on. And I still remember that was a big one for me too, Kevin of like, it, you started seeing the rumors of it, rumblings coming out. And then when he is wearing that, as we all remember, uh, when he announces and he takes off the jacket, he's got the Oregon shirt underneath. It was just like, holy cow, this is actually happening. Yeah, and- it's, it, it, it kind of went from they kept the visit silent to DeAnthony telling USC staff on Monday night. He, he informed both staff that, hey, I'm going to be going to Oregon. And the next 48 hours set the, one of the craziest periods of – I've talked to multiple people in the L.A. area, former Oregon coaches, former USC staffers, and they just said it was one of the craziest times because of all the people trying to get in contact with him, all the commits from both schools trying to kind of get their word in. And Anthony just kind of went radio silent on nearly everybody to where his – his paperwork wasn't even announced by the time he hit the microphones at like 7 p.m. at Crenshaw High School to make his announcement. And there was also the fact of and, – and this is what's so crazy is that this recruitment and the way it went down could never happen today is because so many people today have cell phones and they're, they Instagram it, they, face, they Facebook it, yep. they put it on Twitter, they do a story on, on Instagram stories, they Snapchat it or something someone screenshots it and, and shares it and it spreads like wildfire. There was a reporter and that the rumor was that he found out about it down in LA that he visited Oregon, but only after the fact that he was during the time when, when Anthony Thomas got on his plane from Eugene down to LA and met him there at the airport to try and see if he could get a story. And the rumor is, is that Anthony Thomas is wearing all duck gear and mm-hmm. It's like in today's world, if if D'Anthony Thomas were to take a visit to Oregon and somehow, some way, Oregon was able to hide him away from all the students in their phones who are completely knowledgeable <laughs> yeah. who, who's here for visits and not, the media who's extremely knowledgeable now of who's who's on campus and who's not, 
uh, and he gets home and a reporter shows up though, that guy would have the photo of DeAnthony Thomas in all Oregon gear that he bought from the duck store after his visit. Like that would just, that would get out and, and everyone would have an idea three or four days before his commitment. Oh, it's going to go to Oregon. Yeah. It's, it's pretty wild that it was able to, to be kept that quiet. And to the point of the room, the room where he made his announcement, no one knew everyone thought it was Oregon because that's the way the winds had been shifting in the recruiting world, but no one had been told for sure. And as Eric said, in walks DeAnthony wearing a, a 12 and O shirt and everyone is just like the Oregon green, yellow, 12 and O shirt puts on a duck hat as he's walking into the room and everyone just freaks out. And this is like pre, this is early Twitter. So yes, yep. there were people on Twitter, but I, I even remember just scrolling, refreshing. I think back then they wasn't even like the pull down to refresh on the Twitter thing. So you yeah. had to just keep reloading the app uh, or hoping it would push every minute. So it was, it was pretty wild. And, I believe it was uh, a few of the reporters there in the room retweeted or got a really grainy photo up quickly. And it was just spread like wildfire after that moment. And as you said, Matt, if someone would have taken a photo, whether he was on campus back at the airport or somewhere in LA in that 48 hour period wearing duck gear, it would have just been out. Who knows if he would have come to Oregon because right. you know, USC would have eventually have found out about it. Cause they, that's the other thing. They had no idea that, that he was, in Eugene until he'd gotten home from Eugene. Well, I was going to I mean, say, how, how many recruitments have we seen USC for at the last moment where Oregon's in good position and they just are able to keep like a Juju Smith-Schuster, a Marquise Lee, guys around their area, they're able to just corral them, even though it seems like Oregon is, is where they're going to end up. I mean, that, and, and that would have, yeah, I think you're right, Matt. That's probably what would have happened. Yeah, that, that was an interesting one. I, I think, I don't think we'll ever see that again because just secret no. visits just don't happen. They don't get happen. leaked. And most, mostly they get leaked by the kids themselves or someone they're on the visit with by accident has them in a photo because as has happened across college football. Um, the next recruitment also does that I want to talk about. And I think to me, this is like the, I remember exactly where I was when it happened recruitment, but uh, Eric Armstead, the following year, class of 2012, um, USC was considered quite the favorite for the longest time. Armand Arm said his older brother was at USC already. Uh, everyone expected the five-star out of the Sacramento area would just follow his brother down to USC. And then early in the year, there becomes some disagreement. I think it was the summer before about a medical injury. His, his brother had a shoulder injury. The USC staff said, hey, you're going to have to uh, redshirt or medically retire and the family just wasn't about that so that that eliminates usc well bay area is not far from sacramento so cal kind of jumps in the picture he makes a commitment to cal and tosh lupoy uh who another one of those big recruiters big names has been all over the place uh most recently in alabama now i think he's with the cleveland browns but gets the commitment of eric armstead and so that, that's, a, that's a big piece of the puzzle. The Ducks are still in it for them. And another bring up of USC, that season is um, USC at Oregon. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but like that game, I had some of the craziest hype. It was late November. Yep. Ducks were one of the top teams in the country. I think Oklahoma State was like another top team. Or was it, was it Kansas State was the top team that year? And they lost earlier in the day. Um, just one of those insane, just 
Ducks were top. Was LeBron CP3? I don't remember who else was there. Dwayne Wade, I think, was there. Yeah, Maybe. Dwayne Chris, Wade. Chris Bosh. Yeah. Chris Bosh. It was just Nike brought everyone to that game. They erected those towers, I believe, in like the end zones uh, to just get like another 5,000 fans in Austin. So it was, it was a pretty crazy visit. I don't know if, um, yeah, as you said, there was just a ton of people there. And that left a pretty lasting impact. I think the other big key for Oregon is that, and I think it's kind of become famous with Eric Armstead's narrative is he wanted to be a defensive lineman. Yeah. yeah he everyone want wanted him to be an offensive tackle. Well, yeah, that it, was, and I, there's also the, the, the older brother aspect at USC. Remember how uh, he was very upset with how he was medically treated right, with, right. with the Trojans um, and, and their staff. And that, I think that's super underlying, you know, underrated aspect of the recruitment of he was a heavy lean to USC for a long time. And then how they handled his older brother's injury really soured the Armsteads on uh, the Trojan staff, current staff, which opened the door, which was already maybe a little bit even wider uh, for Chip Kelly and his crew to, to go in there and really flip him. Well, and the other, yeah. the other, the other part was Tosh Lapoy leaving Cal yes. to go to, to go to Washington which we'll talk about with another recruitment in a second here. But um, I, that was also big, was, was, was Tosh leaving Cal where he was committed kind of, I think, in the last month or so before signing day. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird to think about. We've only had three years of the early signing day, but everything used to get done yep. in, in early December. February, which is kind of, kind of crazy to me that, like, we're already adjusted. But it's – that was what happened. Eric Armstead – Ended up, I think it was, I can remember exactly where I was. It was the Civil War basketball game at Matthew Knight Arena. Um, they they had like uh, screens in front of like the donor section or like the side courts. And someone, one of the TV announcers for the Pac-12 network had the decision up on their screen. And there was a crowd of about 100 people gathered behind the screen. And as you mentioned, Tosh Lupoy, his old recruiter at Cal, had gone to Washington it was really down to Cal. Would he still go there with a different coach? Uh, would he go to Washington to follow Lupoy? Notre Dame was also involved. And then there was Oregon. And they're showing the live stream of the local Sacramento news coverage. And in walks his mom wearing purple. And I just remember everyone at the front of Matthew Knight Arena that was watching off the broadcaster's laptop, just like, oh, no, this is Washington. Wow, they pulled this one off. Can't believe it. And then 30 seconds later, he puts on the Oregon hat and just everyone went wild. And uh, it was kind of one of those memories just, I think, because I saw it with a ton of other people of him committing to Oregon. And I think it just kind of has set the line of Oregon can land five stars regularly, especially away from the other schools on the West Coast. So I'm up next here and I drew the short straw. I guess I'm the ghost of recruiting Mrs. Past. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a bunch of kind of, this is so if, yeah, if you want to hear some like stuff that might depress you a little bit, let's run through some guys. Oregon should, it seemed like Oregon was going to get, um, and they didn't get, and we'll start with uh, Shaq Thompson. And, and these recruitments kind of link up with Eric Armstead a little bit. They were, you hear a lot about the package deal concept. Those two were kind of a package deal, big time recruits that NorCal area. Um, we talked about it earlier, the Tosh Lapoy connection at California. Um, Shaq Thompson was committed there, um, you know, and committed there like not far from signing day. I, I looked it up. January 7th, he committed to California. 
Um, and really quick, I just want to establish like this would have this was a massive recruit at the time. It would have been Oregon's highest rated recruit ever. Um, only Kayvon Thibodeau uh, has has surpassed that mark since he was a top five national league player. Um, if you would have landed, if Oregon would have landed both Armstead and Thompson in the same class, that would have been two of the best five recruits in program history at the time, both on the defensive side of the ball. It was really exciting, this kind of thought of these two coming together. Um, and Oregon had a visit in November. It looked like they had a decent shot. Oh, he picks Cal. Oh, boy, Tosh Lapoy, the Xbox coach. He's, he's got these connections. I don't know if – I know Kevin probably remembers this, but the Tosh Lapoy Xbox thing was like he was using Xbox Live to chat with recruits, and somehow that was this like inside strategy that was breaking, that was that was somehow like leading to all of this success. I mean, in retrospect, it sounds crazy, but it makes sense. Everyone um, does it now. Yeah, I was going to say it's because yeah, everybody I mean, does it now. <laughs> they didn't have the same sort of rules about like digital communication. That really wasn't a thing. So it was just like, oh, just text and phone, and here's all your rules about it. There was no Snapchat at the time. Like those rules were, weren't even thought of yet. Yeah, and and so yeah, so so there's this connection with Shaq Thompson and Eric Armstead with Tosh Lapoy at California, the Xbox coach, and and like we said a second ago, Lapoy dips like real late in the process, like right around signing day, and it really feels like for a minute Oregon's going to get these two guys, um, you know, and the connection between the two of them. It uh, seemed like it was strong, and and again, we've already established, and anybody listening knows Shaq Thompson did not play at Oregon. He played at Washington, <laughs> and that's the way it played out. He made a signing day decision. Um, I think he put up the Washington gloves uh, or, or something like that on the, on the telecast, but I remember that being one where there was so much excitement and momentum about the possibility of those two being paired together at Oregon and just how tremendous of a recruit Thompson was going to be and the front seven with those two guys and people – you know, projecting the way these guys were going to look down the line. And yet, ultimately, it didn't work out for Oregon. And Thompson wanted to have a very strong career at Washington, currently in the NFL still. But one of those guys, I think you look back and think, boy, that would have been kind of that first, you know, now you've got the Kayvon Thibodeau, Justin Flo, Noah Sewell combination there in the front seven with those five stars. That would have been maybe kind of that first iteration. And I know Oregon fans were really excited about it up until the moment they weren't. The thing I, I think most about Shaq was – Oregon was pitching him two-way player. That's right. Like, offense, defense. They, I mean, they went all out to try and get him. And once Tosh left Cal to go to UW, I, I think this is, what, is one of the ones that really stung Duck Fan because everything that was coming out was Shaq to Oregon, Shaq to Oregon. Yep. And it went especially – and it even heightened – even – for just the split second or so when Armstead committed to Oregon, um, I, I think there was that feeling, because I think he went first. Yeah, he did. That there was that feeling of Armstead just came to Oregon, Shaq is next, it's going to go down, oh my gosh, Oregon's, gonna, Oregon's not going to land just one, but they're going to land two of these guys, and it's going to be absolutely insane. Yeah, and then you pair that with what they'd done the previous cycles with like Seastrunk and DeAnthony Thomas. Uh, these five-star recruits are suddenly going to Oregon, and it felt like that was that kind of next domino. Obviously, yep. Oregon ends up being fantastic anyway, but uh, that was one that, yeah, I remember being like, because you watched his tape, and it was just like, oh, my gosh. Like, Oregon hasn't had a guy like this before. Um, Washington hadn't had a guy like it before, really. Um, but, it, yeah, obviously one that, that stings a little bit. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Autzen Audible's podcast.
Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Uh, we're breaking down crazy recruiting stories and just kind of what we remember from uh, these times. And we've got a couple more harder ones. <laughs> to get through uh but we'll end it on some positive notes yeah i was gonna say now i feel silly for pushing for for, for doing the ones of the negative of the negative recruitments because i think people probably prefer a, a podcast of all positive memories but here's right. a couple more ones to ruin your uh, friday um <laughs> and just and, and these are all con- in consecutive recruiting classes so it's just it's just the, the horror of the mid 2010s from our oregon perspective 2013 was a tough year for oregon fans in general just because that's when chip kelly um, finally took the NFL job after all of those rumors about Cleveland and Philadelphia, um, you know, about the internet, obviously a lot of rumors in 2012, he was going to leave. He doesn't leave in 2013. He leaves right around signed about two weeks before. And Oregon's headliner in that class was running back Dontre Wilson out of DeSoto, Texas. He's a big time running back. You look at what Oregon had done earlier in recruiting running backs from Texas, the Michael James, Lake Seastrunk we mentioned earlier, um, Trey Carson and Dante Williams, a couple of other running backs that didn't pan out really at Oregon, but that were, were notable running back recruits from that, that area. And Wilson really felt like he was going to be the next big one. And you watched him on tape and you saw kind of a little bit of Michael James, a little bit taller, really explosive, exciting, um, really was the headliner of this recruiting class. And then Chip takes off and there's this, uh-oh, What's going to happen here? And on all the while, I think there was some concern about holding on to him because Ohio State had kind of been in the ear the whole time. Um, and I just remember feeling like, boy, if Oregon can hold on to Wilson, that's going to be a massive win for Mark Helfrich and this staff and this program going forward. Um, and they had a couple other recruits that they were having to hold on to, and Darren Carrington and I think Tyree and Tyrell Robinson's a couple other four-star recruits, kind of the, the, the core of this recruiting class. And they land, they, they hold on to Carrington, they hold on to the, the Robinsons. We know how those players played out at Oregon. Wilson, unfortunately, does not end up at Oregon. And I don't know if it's the craziest recruitment in terms of how it played out last second, um, but more for me, it was like a boy, I, I really felt like he was going to be special at Oregon. He goes to Ohio State and frankly doesn't have a very memorable career at all. Um, you know, Oregon obviously plays Ohio State uh, for a national championship a couple of years later. Wilson's not really a part of what they're doing and never really got to that point but um I don't know about you guys but I remember watching his tape being like and after they'd already land like Seastrunk and after they landed all these other players feeling like boy this guy could be that next big part of this Oregon offense especially from Texas yeah I've I felt like 
he was one of those players where if he'd been on Oregon's roster when they played Ohio State in the national championship game, I don't mm-hmm. know if he necessarily would have would have been a superstar player for Oregon. I thought he was going to be. Right. Um, but who knows how it would have played out. But seeing as Oregon was without Devin Allen, without Darren Carrington, um, didn't they have a, a – there was like another receiver maybe that got hurt in the game or, or leading up to it. Um, you know, they were oh, – uh, Addison was, was not playing that season because he got hurt in – I think in spring football or what have you. And, yeah. Um, Dontre Wilson was a guy that put, potentially could have been one of the difference makers in Oregon – you know, winning that game or or what actually happened and them losing because I think it was safe to say that early on before the, the Ohio State took the lead, Oregon was was they they were the aggressor. They were the one in that football game that was really stressing things uh, against Ohio State and making them have to play certain ways. And it was just drop passes. A true freshman in Charles Nelson dropping a touchdown pass. Dwayne Stanford dropping a touchdown pass. And it's just, and I go back to it thinking if Oregon just had one more guy in the receiving core, because that's what he was going to play. He was going to play in the slot, playing at running back as well, similar to what D'Anthony Thomas did and what Byron Marshall did. Um, if they had just had one more guy, and that's what Nelson was playing and was in the slot, maybe they could have, you know, had the, had the talent to overcome those mistakes and because a more experienced guy would have been out there and what have you. And, I'm with you though, Eric. I, I looked at Wilson thinking, well, boy, if they could hold on to him, that would be a huge win for Mark Helfrich because it would be a sign of elite players are still saying, I believe in this program. And, and other, did, other guys did, but this was different because he was from Texas and he was a long ways away from Eugene. And that could have you know, helped solidify other classes and other top players from outside of Oregon's typical recruiting regions to, to looking and, and end up signing with Oregon. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. And I would just want to say, like, I know this might be revisionist history a little bit, but just looking back at the rankings, I mean, Oregon landed five-star running back Thomas Tyner, who is going to kind of be a little bit more of that shake and bake that you had with two running backs, but one is a slot. Kind of would have worked really nicely, but Tyner was from Oregon. Then you look at the rest of the recruiting class, and it's the the Robinson uh, brothers who are 138 and 148 in the ranking. And then Trodney Prevost, who's 175. But that kind of the drop-off between the two previous years, 2012 and 2011, being two of the best classes at the time in Oregon history, to then 2013 falling a bit. But the Ducks were still really good teams. So I think there there were, was a lot of question marks of, can Helfrich keep this together? I remember those at the time. But now looking back, I don't know if Wilson necessarily was the turning point, but recruiting definitely took a little bit of a downswing into those Helfrich era. And I think that was part of it. Yeah. Let's get more into the downswing here in 2014. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man>. Nice transition. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this was another, this was another tough late decommitment from a recruit that was really pivotal to the recruiting class. Um, Buda Baker, a Seattle area kid who it was a huge coup for Oregon to go out and pick up this big time DB um, out of Washington's backyard. And they held them right until the end. You know, they had, I think he committed around Christmas, um, which I should say, like if recruiting rules were in place now, they'd probably get his signature and he plays at Oregon. I mean, it's, it's one of those things you look back and a lot of these recruitments play out that way. I mean, we probably most of the ones we've talked about, if you put in the, you know, that, that, that December signing period, maybe Oregon, the ones I'm talking about, Oregon missed on, uh, that 
most of those guys probably ended Oregon. And maybe some of these guys we talk about that did end up at Oregon, maybe don't end up at Oregon if this, if these rules are in place, kind of one of the interesting things to look back in retrospect. But um, yeah, he ends up, it's a, and for me, I don't know if this was the case for everybody. This was one of those really shocking decommitments because yes. it felt like he had reaffirmed everything. Everything was online. There was no real questions. He was kind of one of those lead recruiters in the class. He was, uh, I think, the second highest rated recruit in that class along with uh, behind Royce Freeman. He was really that big time defensive back recruit. Oregon um, hadn't had a lot of recruits of his caliber. I, I, did, I looked at it. He would have been the 11th rated all-time recruit in Oregon history at the time. Um, and then all of a sudden he flips to Washington, I think about two and a half weeks before signing day. And it was kind of one of those things where, boy, Oregon had had the upper field, upper hand on the field over Washington. And it wasn't even close. Everybody listening to this knows the history of what, where, where that was. And this was right in that middle of that period where Oregon was just really spanking the Huskies on the playing field. And, and that was a big part of why they got Baker's commitment, I think, initially. And to lose him to Washington really stung because of that rivalry and to lose him when they did stung because it didn't feel like there was really enough time to go find a suitable replacement. And I know there were like a bunch of rumors about his girlfriend, I think at the time, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's, maybe always that's maybe, the rumor. It's always the rumor. <laughs> maybe when you lose a recruit, but uh, that was one that really stung. It ends up being a really good player at Washington. Obviously all pac 12 guy goes on. I think he plays for the Cardinals now. Just a little anecdotal story. I was told a few years after that recruitment, uh, that has to do with the Ducks. One of the things that was used against Oregon is that uh, back then they used to hold the opening regionals on college campuses and they used to hold it at the University of Oregon. And that year, Buda Baker came down from Seattle to the Eugene Regional um, right in the middle of grass season. Grass season, his allergies were terrible. And a few people had noted that, and that was actually something used against the Ducks down the stretch by the Huskies, you know, just... So if you want to blame Lynn County for anything, the grass seed capital of the world, uh, <laughs> just blame Lynn County for that recruitment. I, I, I remember, it, like Eric said, it was a really shocking one. Um, I remember I was in a store in the Valley River Mall. It's a mall in Eugene, Oregon. <laughs> yeah. And I, I know exactly what store it was when I got the text message from uh, someone within our network saying, hey, Buda Baker in the next about 30 minutes is going to flip from walk from Oregon to Washington. And it was kind of just one of those like, whoa, like what? I had to read the text a couple times, make sure I had it right. And that doesn't happen very often. Uh, and I'm not trying to like toot our horns, but everyone in the recruiting world kind of has a good idea of how things are gonna gonna shake. And every year you you do get the surprises, but every year they're 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 fewer and fewer. And at that time it was like whoa, this was a guy that Oregon felt was like 100% locked in. It was like a couple weeks, I think, before he was going to enroll early yep, and, exactly. and, and get, to, get to Oregon. And that's another one in which I go back to like what Eric said of, you know, it, it stung for Oregon fan because, A, he, he flips from Oregon to Washington, which are rivals, and B, it, it's a deal in which the two schools weren't even close in terms of level of play and competing for national championships at that time. And so it was kind of like, holy smokes, we're ready made. We're going we're going to go to the, the national championship next year. And he's leaving to go play for a team that's going to struggle to play in a bowl game. Like duck fan was really shocked by that. And he's another one in which if he was on the roster, mm-hmm. maybe things are different against Ohio state. Yeah. And, and it's not totally fair, but it did, 
and at the time it probably didn't feel this way, but you look at the trajectory of the programs over the next couple of years, it almost yes. kind of felt like it was a weird turning point recruitment. I know that's not totally fair, but Washington really goes on the ascension and, and has a lot of success, you know, shortly after that. And Oregon, of, of course, as we know, goes on the, the opposite direction. So it's not fair, but it kind of at the time there felt like there was a little bit of like, oh, this really maybe hurt more than, than just this one recruitment. I'm going to end my, my run here with a positive, which is exciting, um, <laughs> rather than talking about negative stuff here. And we'll make this kind of quick here because it's kind of a weird – it's a really quick recruitment, and that's Ugo Amadi. Um, I remember I was a, a, a reporter in Eastern Oregon in Pendleton at the time and, and following recruiting pretty closely. And Amadi was a guy who was, like, not even really on my radar. Yeah. And he's from Tennessee. He was an LSU commit. Before that, he was an Ole Miss recruit. Um, and he commits to Oregon without visiting. And I've got the dates here from, from 24-7's database. They do a great job of logging this. Amadi commits to Oregon, again, totally out of the blue, without a visit on January 8th, and then enrolls 11 days later without ever having visited before on January 19th. Um, and it was a thing where it's like, not only is it a really weird, quick recruitment like that, it's a guy who was like a pretty highly regarded player. At the time, he was the highest rated Oregon recruit from the state of Tennessee ever. Um, they go out and land a couple guys in the classes after that, like Dylan Mitchell um, and Lance Wilhoit that surpassed that. But at the time, this was really, really big to get a kid from the Southeast to just shockingly, stunningly commit and then enroll 11 days later, right around signing period. Um, Matt, Matt was working, covering this a little bit more closely than I was. Matt, was it as weird as I'm making it out to be, or am I maybe over oh, no, it overstating was- it? It, it was out there. I mean, I, I, this was another one. I was going to say, I remember where I was at. I was on a plane getting ready to go, I think, to the national championship game in, in Texas uh, to go cover that. And all of a sudden, Ugo Amadi commits. I'm like, this can't be real. This, is, this must be a kid making, like, what? Like, Oregon's never even offered this kid. He hasn't visited. How is he? You know, this doesn't make sense. So, yeah, I, I remember when that, that went down, partly because I was scrambling because it was so out of left field uh, of, of his commitment. Like, how is this going to fit? I, I literally can't you know, work on this. And like you said, it, it was – you don't see very often, A, a guy get offered and commit sight unseen. And then, B, you don't – you really don't see guys enroll without ever stepping foot on a campus. And that, that was one in which it was, it was really – unique and you know unfortunately and, and it it's it's you don't want it to be a negative on on Ugo Lamadi the, the person but Ugo Lamadi the player your first thought process is is okay what what's what's wrong with his game why is he committing sight unseen to Oregon and he's he's not going to an SEC area school and and the great thing with that recruitment is that Amadi ends up being a really fantastic player at Oregon. I mean, yes. and that kind of pulls it all together. I think if he would have been a forgettable player, um, you even I think Kevin mentioned another weird recruitment with Tarodney Prevo briefly earlier, where that was another one where I don't think anybody expected him to end up at Oregon. He doesn't end up having quite the career that a guy like Ugo has. Ugo obviously goes on to be a really, really strong player for Oregon and kind of a part of that turnaround season. Um, a couple of years ago. Um, and so, yeah, but just a bizarre one. You don't see it happens. Probably another one that's not going to be replicated um, anytime soon. One in which that, that really fits in line with what you're talking about of, you know, he just didn't really do anything is Ryan Gilliam, um, mm-hmm. four-star cornerback from Florida, I think 2002 class, first ever player to commit to, you know, to Oregon out of the state of Florida. 
and in the recruiting era and everyone's like freaking out. Oh my God, Oregon got a four star guy. He's, this is awesome. He's, he's from Florida too. He's, you know, he's going to be an unbelievable football player. Going to go on to the pros after three years. He did absolutely nothing <laughs> at Oregon. I don't even think he finished his career at Oregon. Moving on uh, now to probably the most positive you can get when talking Oregon recruiting. Um, most two years ago, basically now, uh, Oregon started recruiting at the time the nation's number one prospect ended up as the nation's number two prospect in the 24-7 composite, Kayvon Thibodeau. That was a really interesting ballot because Willie Taggart started that recruitment when he was there for the 2017 season. Then he dips to Florida State and everyone wonders, are, are the Ducks going to remain in this? And Florida State that offseason had all of the momentum leading in. Um, and, and Kayvon kind of limited his list down to a rough top five. There's room for other schools in there, but it was Alabama, Oregon, Florida, Florida state. And then USC was kind of in there, but they had, they had backed off, which was interesting that USC wasn't going to be recruiting, um, a five-star number two prospect in the country out of their own backyard. Uh, Kayvon does make it up for unofficial visit in, the spring for the spring game, but the Ducks are falling really far behind. Florida, Florida State are kind of seen as the leaders with Alabama right there. Um, Jump into the official visit season during the fall, he makes his official visits to Florida or to Alabama and to Florida State and then visits Oregon for the Washington game during that 2018 season. And I think – the overtime victory with uh, C.J. Verdell running it right up the middle, uh, the missed field goal by or at the end of regulation, just kind of one of the craziest games. Fans stormed the field. Uh, Mario Cristobal fired up in the press conference saying how you can't even script that, and thanks to the fans for making this special atmosphere, especially for the recruits. And I think everyone knew who was on campus that day. And that kind of changed the game for Kayvon Thibodeau was his visit to Oregon for that weekend. My, I was going to say, I, the, probably the first and maybe the only viral video I've ever posted was Kayvon Thibodeau is celebrating at midfield with all of the players after that game. Yep. And I think Jim Levitt runs up and gives him a hug and a high five, and you can just see how excited KT was. That was one of the things. I was just in the right place at the right time. Like The number one recruit in the country is like five feet away from me celebrating an Oregon win. And I remember at the time thinking like, yeah, but is this going to matter that much in like three months? Like it probably won't. Ultimately, he'll probably end up somewhere in the Southeast because that's where, I mean, there was feeling that maybe it would be Oregon. Um, but that visit clearly, like, and me witnessing that, I, I kind of feel like I was a, a part of a little bit of history because I think actually Oregon used my little clip. They asked for permission to use that clip for some sort of promotional tool after he'd signed, obviously, otherwise they'd be breaking rules. But um, that was one for me that was just weird to feel like I was slightly a part of it because I watched him kind of enjoying the aftermath um, right around midfield at Odson. I, I wonder if normally the, the adage is, is that in recruiting, um, one game doesn't make or break a recruitment typically. Yeah. Uh, you, very rarely do you ever see an outcome of a game and typically it's always a loss too. everyone kind of freaks out about, Oh, Oh no, the Oregon loss. How is that going to impact such and such in the recruitment? You could maybe argue, um, Kevin, that the, the fashion in that, that Washington game ends the way Oregon wins Kayvon Thibodeau being there, Kayvon Thibodeau 
rushing the field with Oregon students and then eventually with uh, Oregon's team, you could really argue that that impacted the, you know, the commitment more than anything else. Oh, absolutely. I think at that point of his recruitment, I think we kind of had seen what happened to Florida State uh, with Willie Taggart. The, the fall had started, so they kind of had fallen out. Florida was still there. I mean, he visited Florida the week after, but it just wasn't the same buzz there was in the spring. So really, it brought that recruitment down to just Alabama and Oregon. And the experience that he had had at Oregon just kept on such a unbelievable uh, momentum for the Ducks to where I think we had this conversation privately a lot during that period of like, Oregon's still the leader. Do we want to put in a crystal ball? Like (laughs) everything we were both hearing was like, we should put in a crystal ball, but like, you never know, like the momentum might fade. And then I think we all kind of just said like, okay, this is time in the middle of November. Once it was, it was getting strong there that the ducks were the team to beat, but Alabama definitely fought to the end there. Nick Saban made an in-home and I think, I, I don't know. I, mean, I know the Ducks did play in the Vegas Bowl the year prior, but that Vegas Bowl, because he announced it halftime on ESPN, I think a lot of Duck fans were fired up about that Vegas Bowl, despite what had happened the last year, because at halftime, Kayvon put on the Oregon visor. So it's it, it was a it was a pretty wild uh, recruitment, and I think we've seen Kayvon. I mean, I think just this week he was named to another preseason All-American list. Uh, I think that's worked out really well. And I think it, it, it's been really interesting to see. I, I know Oregon had landed some big fish. They got Panay Sewell in Mario Cristobal's first class that he was responsible for signing. Uh, but I think Kayvon kind of has marked the new era in that Oregon can go head to head with the Alabamas, the, the Floridas, the SEC really, and uh, get those big wins. Yeah, it was a deal in which I looked at it like, that was a new threshold where Oregon, Oregon had always been able to go out and show they could get, you know, a top 20 player, but we'd never seen a top five player. Um, I, I think even a top 10 player commit overall, you know, regardless of position in the country commit to the Oregon football program. And there's just like in basketball for football, there, there are, there are tiers within the five-star recruit. There's the, there's the guy that, that you say, hey, he's a really good high school football player. He's a five-star. He's one of the best players in the country. He's going to be a first-round draft pick. But he does have some areas where he's, he's going to need to get better to, to fully maximize his potential. And then there are guys like KT where you look at him and say, the only thing that's holding him back is himself. If, if, if he focuses and shows up, stays healthy, and plays like he should play, he's going to be a, a first-round draft pick in three years. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, th- th- there's that level of five-star as well. And that was kind of the first guy for Oregon that they went out and landed. And, and KT is – he's a bona fide NFL player before he steps foot on campus. And it's literally, can he stay healthy to get to that NFL level and, and just replicate what we think he can do on the field. Cause if he can, he's ready. And that's what he's essentially done since he's, he's landed at Oregon as crazy as it sounds for, for one season. And I, one other guy that we haven't talked about that I think is pretty crazy is Devin Williams. Um, yeah. That was one in which 
for the longest period of time, Oregon felt like they were going to get him coming out of high school. And then there was that situation where um, late in the, in the recruiting process, just before a dead period, I think he went down um, to USC. He says he was there for a funeral, which ended up being true. Um, but he wasn't there just for a funeral. He also was on campus at USC, hung out with the, co- the football coaches, and that ultimately swayed him from, from going from Oregon to USC days before National Signing Day. It would have been a huge coup for, for Mario Cristobal. And the crazy part then is he, it goes full circle by a year and a half later. He's not happy with his playing time at USC and elects to transfer out of the program and, and lands and signs and enrolls with Oregon and is going to be probably, you know, one of their top five receivers this, you know, this coming season. Yeah. I, do you remember Matt and I, we were up at the opening, I think it was last year and Kevin might've been there too. I think you were, but the, the, the buzz was like, really like Oregon was going to get him Coda and then probably Isaiah Crocker. And it was just like, man, yeah. this is going to be an incredible wide receiving group. And they missed on the first two and the third one to this point hasn't really developed. And it was kind of, I think, up until Devin transferred back from USC to Oregon, it was kind of like, man, all that buzz that was going on and the, and the issues Oregon had at receiver. I mean, think back to last year. Boy, they could have used any of those guys being at the, at the caliber we thought they'd be. Um, yeah, that was a weird one that did full, come full circle um, where it actually ends up coming back around and the guy ends up at Oregon after everybody thought he'd end up at Oregon in high school and then he reversed course. If, if I had the, the, the skills from a video perspective um, – I think you could put together a 30 for 30 short on the 2007, uh, what is it? 2018 recruiting class for Oregon, because think of all the players that Oregon had committed that decommitted that were t- talented players. Colson Yankoff was a four-star quarterback. Uh, that wasn't because of the Taggart departure. That was because of the Helfrich departure, but Warren Thompson, four-star receiver, Trayshawn Harrison, four-star athlete, Braden Lindsay, four-star athlete, Malcolm Lamar, four-star defensive end. Isaiah Bolden, four-star cornerback. Michael Ezeki, four-star tight end. Miles Battle, four-star receiver. Yeah. Elijah Winston, four-star inside linebacker. Um, and then there was then you compound the fact of all the players that were probably going to land with Oregon uh, under Taggart before his departure. And who knows? That class could have been the number one class mm-hmm. in the country. Keith Talanoa Hufunga, the five-star out of the state of Oregon who goes down to USC instead, as we mentioned before, Chase Coda, a guy that never actually committed, Devin Williams. Yeah, that would have just been an, a pretty insane class. And I think that class was kind of interesting. I think Devin Williams plays into it. And after Oregon had started to kind of claw against USC, the Trojans flip Elijah Winston and then a week later – land Devin Williams and it's just yeah. like oh no this is USC's back up to their old tricks again so I think it, it's kind of reinvigorated that recruiting battle a little bit yeah and I that's a good point of USC and Oregon going head-to-head again and um, typically the Trojans have been a school that that have won out more than than Oregon has but you know we're, we're seeing it happen a little bit more and a little bit more and more um, other commitments that that were wild. I think Jeremiah Cradell was one in which um, he went from Oregon to Oklahoma. There were some signs very late that it was going to happen. So when he ultimately flipped, it wasn't that big of a shock. It still was, but it wasn't I mean, like 
one of these huge ones, but it was more so the fact of leading up to that point. It was like, is he really going to do this? Like he's going to flip when he's been so committed for so long. He has even admitted that he told the Oregon coaches that he didn't, he didn't tell them he was going to Oklahoma. He made it, he like, he's been told, said in an interview with two, four, seven sports that he told everyone he was coming and he didn't have his mind made up when he went on ESPN that morning of signing day that he was just telling everyone he was coming because he didn't know until he put the hat on. Yeah, that was another one that was just – and ultimately, Oregon's been fine because the, you know, they were so loaded at the position anyways that you know, and it kind of makes sense for him to, to leave because he's playing for the Sooners. You know, he's one of their, yeah, he's one of their better players in the secondary, and you know, he wasn't going to do that at Oregon because you know, they were, they're so stacked. But um, ultimately, a ton of wild stories, a ton of um, crazy commitments, some positive, some out there that have been negative – uh, from an Oregon perspective as well. And uh, if we missed any that, that you felt like needed to be discussed, go ahead, drop them in the comments section. Let us know. Continue this discussion. Hit us up on social media as well because I'd love to know if there were other commitments that we should have discussed on this podcast. That's going to do it for us, though. For Kevin Wade, Eric Scopel, I'm Matt Prem. You've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.